Trigger warning. This entire episode discusses rape. Please listen with care. Hello and welcome to The Bipolar Feminist. I'm Nikita Ramkisun, and today we are tackling the topic of rape accusations by the Israeli government against Hamas on the 7th of October 2023. Using women's bodies and accusations of rape for war propaganda has far-reaching consequences, impacting not just the ongoing conflict, but also shaping worldwide views on women and femmes. This tactic erodes trust in genuine reports of sexual violence, fostering doubt and disbelief when survivors come forward and reinforcing a culture of silence and impunity. It risks triggering a global pushback against initiatives aimed at combating gender-based violence and promoting women's rights, while also undermining international efforts to prevent and address sexual violence in conflict zones. This is what is happening in the discourse surrounding sexual violence We live in a world where survivors are barely believed, if at all. So when the Israeli occupational forces accused Hamas of raping and mutilating women on the 7th of October, debate raged as to whether these accusations are believable and pressure was placed on society as to when we believe survivors and when we don't. Let's be honest here. It's a simple thing, usually. When someone says they were raped, we believe them, regardless of gender. When a military organization and oppressive regime says the opposition raped women, we have to be skeptical. Following the allegations of rape, the New York Times released an investigative report on the 28th of December 2023 that detailed the alleged events and claimed to verify incidents of rape and lacks concrete evidence. It also fails to include accounts or reports from the alleged victims and is based entirely on evidence from people who were vaguely around the areas of attack during the flood of Al-Aqsa. The Israeli police say they have no victims. All they have are reports from people in the area at the time, and every account says the rape victims were then murdered. A report reads that Police Superintendent Dudi Katz said officers have collected more than 1,000 statements and more than 60,000 video clips related to the attacks as a whole that include claims that people saw women being raped. He added that investigators do not have first-hand testimony. No videos that have been released on social media have any evidence of sexual assault, and it turns out that the vast majority of reports detailing rape are from members of the IOF themselves. Guardian journalist Owen Jones, who has been all too ready to pander to Israel's propaganda in previous incidences, was invited to a screening of what evidence has been handpicked by the Israeli military, and even he said that there is no evidence of beheadings, torture or rape in any of the videos that a select few favorable journalists were shown. People have asked me where the story of rape occurring on the 7th of October originated, And in my research, and I came across the name Dr. Kocham El-Kayam Levy, a women's rights commentator who claims that an independent commission of inquiry found that there is no doubt that members of Hamas raped women that day. Electronic Intifada found that El-Kayam Levy, though claiming to be independent, has undisclosed ties to the Israeli government, having served in the Attorney General's International Law Department and, while there, provided fabricated evidence as justification for human rights violations against Palestinians, and even wrote a manual on force-feeding prisoners on hunger strike, which is a form of torture under international law. In the initial claim, first published by CNN, El-Kayam Levy provides excuse after excuse for the lack of evidence. It was then discovered that she used to work in the Israeli Occupational Forces Public Relations Unit, basically their propagandist. Women and other vulnerable groups bear the brunt of war and conflicts, 
facing multi-layered levels of violence, including sexual assault and rape. While being profoundly disturbing for its lack of credible arguments and evidence and failure to produce testimonies, all of the allegations are shady at best and a downright lie at worst. We vehemently oppose the exploitation of women's bodies and experiences in perpetuating misleading propaganda and using sexual violence as a linchpin to justify genocide. The very existence of women's suffering is also being called into question. Disinformation and misinformation are rife, and it's appallingly easy to write off as falsity or propaganda the information that conflicts with one's views and take only the information, and sometimes falsities and propaganda, that comports with them. I'm a journalist, and even I've had a hard time sorting out what has been substantiated, what has been disproven, and what still exists in the in-between as investigations continue and forensics teams make their way through the aftermath of the attacks. And now, as a brutal and bloody genocide continues apace and horrors mount inside Gaza, minute by minute. The UN has set up a commission of inquiry into these allegations, with the former UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Navi Pillay, chairing the three-member commission into abuses committed in Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories. A major challenge for Pillay is that Israel has not cooperated with the commission, which it says has an anti-Israel bias. The Commission could struggle to gather sufficient evidence to support future charges if access is not granted, and the entire Commission could fall flat. Israeli authorities have opened their own investigation into sexual violence on the 7th of October, saying it will not receive justice from the UN. The head of operations for the southern regions of Zakar, Israel's volunteer civilian emergency response organization, told US and UK news channels that he saw with his own eyes children and babies who had been beheaded and a lot more that he said he cannot describe, speaking of parents and children found with their hands bound and signs of torture. There has been no evidence of this produced yet. When US President Joe Biden publicly expressed his outrage at the supposed 40 beheaded babies at the Khafar Azar kibbutz, the public shock was both extensive and understandable. The gruesome news spanned the world's media in a matter of hours. But subsequent reports revealed that no such beheadings have been verified by any Israeli or international source, probably because they never happened. This was just one dramatic incidence of false reporting spreading in the public sphere via mass media to denigrate one's foes and support one's allies. Thousands of other false reports like this circulate daily in the media. The CNN reported who defended the claim retracted her words saying that they were all misled by their leader. The claim is still being circulated despite the lack of evidence and Israel's refusal to release its footage of the 7th of October attacks, which it says that it definitely has. Biden's office had to walk back his comments saying that he saw the photos of the beheaded babies because there were no photographs. Meanwhile, in Israel, sexual violence has increased by 36.19% since 2020, with the incidence of incestual and child rape being the highest both of which have not been addressed. There has been sexual violence within the Israeli occupational forces itself that has mostly gone uninvestigated. Less than 10% of reported rape within the IOF has been taken to court. Palestinian women detainees and prisoners are subjected to harassment, physical and verbal abuse, degrading body searches, rape and other sexual violations, solitary confinement and harsh or arbitrary punishment all of which go unpunished or unacknowledged by the West. 
Recent investigations raise questions about whether forensic evidence of rape was collected from the scene on the 7th of October. And although reports have extensively focused on eyewitness accounts, forensic evidence is vital in prosecuting this kind of case. As we have seen time and time again, with many legitimate cases being thrown out due to the lack of forensic evidence. Again, the Israeli police say there are no victims. The only people here who seem to have any evidence are members of the pro-Zionist lobby groups and propagandists. The very same people who insist that there are tunnels under hospitals, that all Palestinian children are going to grow up to be terrorists, and that any criticism of Israel cannot be distinguished from the hatred of the Jewish people. Ali Abdunima of the Electronic Intifada said the rhetoric that Israel is pushing surrounds the idea that Israel is a bastion of women's rights and that Hamas are savages who have no concept of women's rights whatsoever. Social media is awash with statements about not believing women who are Israeli or Jewish, further exploiting the Zionist talking point of anti-Semitism being at the heart of any resistance to Israel's brutal colonization project. Unverified information spreads quickly on social media, particularly around breaking news events, reaching even larger audiences when it's shared by mainstream news outlets, politicians and people with large followings. Follow-ups that retract or add content are less likely to be repeated or reach the same audience, and we are still hearing about unverified and even debunked incidents as if they were the gospel truth. It is important to note that all the acts of which Israel has accused Hamas were committed between 1947 and 1948 by the Irgun against the Palestinian people, leading up to and during the Nakba. One significant incident involving the Irgun's attacks on Palestinians occurred in 1948 during the Deir Yassin massacre. In April of that year, the Irgun and Lehi fighters attacked the village of Deir Yassin near Jerusalem. The assault resulted in the killing of an estimated 100 to 120 Palestinian civilians, including women, children and the elderly. It included torture by beheading, rape and looting of their homes and businesses. At the same time, the allegations from the 7th of October insist that there was testimony after testimony, as seen in a widely circulated article by Haaretz. Yet the very same article says that there was no testimony taken by the Independent Commission of Inquiry, neither directly nor indirectly, from survivors regarding rape. Many women's rights groups worldwide have called for justice for the women of Israel, calling anyone who disputes Israel's claims as anti-Semitic and calling them rape apologists, with many skeptics being browbeaten about believing women being conditional on whether they're Jewish or not. I can safely say that while I believe women, sometimes to my detriment, I do not believe the Israeli government, media and military. Every accusation levelled against the Palestinian resistance has been either an outright lie or a confession on Israel's part. Meanwhile, women in Gaza find themselves on the front line in a battle for survival, and it's being documented in real time. Devoid of shelter, safety, food, water and sanitation, they bear the brunt of a genocidal regime. Around 70% of all the people that Israel has killed in Gaza are women and children. Around 1 million women and girls are displaced. For months, they have been living in tents or schools, weary and at constant risk. On average, two mothers are killed per hour in Gaza. Such a chilling statistic reveals a dire reality. Behind the statistics, there are individuals and families. 
the responsibilities shouldered by these women, who are the pillars of their families, have become even more challenging. More than 3,000 women have become widows and are new heads of households. They have to take care of and protect their children in such inhumane environments. They strive to prepare scarce food on wood fires for their families in the early hours of the morning. They lack the very basic needs for their own well-being, most importantly, sanitary needs and privacy. Most women who observe hijab cannot. They are also living in fear of being attacked by IOF soldiers who have historically used rape as a way to intimidate and silence Palestinians. And that is a reality that is well documented. I dislike the women and children rhetoric. It's infantilizing and emotionally manipulative and ignores the fact that men are also innocent victims of war. It presumes a natural feminine pacifism, but also it is women and children who are suffering the most in this war, in large part because most of the people in Gaza are either women or children. It is women and girls who are the most likely to be raped in conflict, subjected to a particular kind of torture and humiliation designed to break their souls as well as their bodies. I have spoken to Palestinian women who have been raped by the Israeli occupational forces. The violence they feel at the hands of the IOF is nothing short of despicable. It is women and children who routinely make up the majority of innocents killed when men start fighting. It is women and girls who particularly suffer under fundamentalist patriarchal religions and governments. It is women and children who routinely do the least to foment and perpetuate violence and war, but nevertheless feel the heaviest consequences of violence and war bear down on them. So when people yell about Palestinian women and the lack of women's rights, claiming that women are being oppressed by Hamas and Islam and that Hamas oppresses Israeli women, I say to them, women's rights mean nothing to women who are dead. So far, 16,000 Palestinian women and girls have been killed by Israel. Another 30,000 women and girls are injured or under the rubble. Thank you for listening. Thank you to my patrons for making this podcast possible and for their continued support and to the Electronic Intifada for their wealth of information. Should you wish to support Girls in Gaza, please go to pcrf.net to donate to the Palestinian Children's Relief Fund. See you next week, and as always, Free Palestine.